Can we just show our love again to United Worship at Christ? Some of us just simply chose to indulge in cookies. 
And either way, either way, both of these might be an attempt to satisfy our flesh. Both those things might be an attempt to satisfy the longings and cravings that we have in our hearts. And the thing that we quickly realize we're trying to satisfy our flesh is that it is never satisfied. It is never satisfied. We might try to satisfy both our need to be healthier and our desire for cookies at the same time. So we eat cookies and we walk and we run. And we come back, but we know, you know, the whole time, there's 25 boxes of cookies on top of your refrigerator. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Who would get it right? We know, you know, that a terrible diet can kill your desire to be healthier. And that your capacity, here's the spiritual truth, your capacity to become healthier depends on what you choose indulge. So the Apostle Paul gives us two lists in Galatians chapter 5. One we should deny and one we should delight. And in your Bibles, it might be termed life by the Spirit. So we're going to read Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. And I'd like for us to stand at the reading of God's Word. This is the word of God for the people of God. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law, the acts of the flesh are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And against such things there is no law. That those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envy. It's the word of God in Galatians 5. May you see. So Paul is writing a church that's conflicted. They're confused. They're corrupted. And they've consigned. They, 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 they give themselves to a false.
gospel. See, the problem was there were some Jewish Christians who were saying that to remain in Christ, they needed to adopt the law of Moses and all of the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. All right? That's one way to run all the men out of your church, everybody. <laughs> in chapters 1 through 4, Paul, Paul teaches that they are not slaves to the law, but they are free in Christ. And then in chapters 5 through 6, they are to live in the Spirit. They're to live by the Spirit. So here's the thing. If you try to find salvation under any rule or any law, then you will be cursed because the law is for law breakers. And if you seek to live by the law, then you're wanting, Paul says, to live by the flesh. You're trying to appeal to your sinful nature and not by the Spirit. See, the antidote to your sinful nature are not rules. It's not the law of Moses. It's not circumcision. It's not rituals. But the Spirit. So Paul is encouraging them to lean into the spiritual life. See, the spiritual life is a life that believes that Jesus came in the flesh to save us from our sinful nature. To save us from ourselves and to save our neighbors from ourselves. Instead of trying to save ourselves all the time, we must lean into the spiritual life. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ's finished work of salvation. Trust in Jesus to save us. And I have to admit that my daughter was one of those cookie pushers outside of King Supers. She was behind one of those stands hawking indulgences, okay? She sold those indulgences well. And we also sold them out of the back of a church, you know what I mean? Like we were there. <laughs> my wife was sneaking through, you know, hey, I got it. <laughs> moms and dads to one of them out the back, you know, give them these cookies, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we didn't sell enough cookies to, like, offend anybody, or as Don McLaughlin says, ruffle or feathers, you know, get back feathers, you know, stay down. <laughs> Nobody left the church because the amount of cookies that we were selling, but, uh, you know, holy men didn't leave, but uh, there was a holy man that did leave the church. That long ago, the Catholic Church sold indulgences, right? Not cookies, mind you, but services. They Instead of acts of penance, which were voluntary punishment, uh, it was a service conducive to the interest of the church and the glory of God, which was accepted to reprieve the guilt of sin. Holy men left that church. That the selling of indulgences was the first object of attack on the part of Martin Luther in the beginning of the Reformation. And at first, only personal acts were performed for the church. That's what all was admitted, but monetary gifts became the norm. More and more common, until the last was only about the money, the buying and the selling. It got so out of control. The church would commission salesmen to hawk indulgences, receiving a cut from the prophets, right? In the 1500s, John Tetzel, a Dominican friar, the grand commissioner of indulgences, Man, he was known for his noisy and popular eloquence and his questionable morals, and, but he was an active and enterprising spirit. And, and with the rest of the monks of his order, he executed the commission with great zeal and success, but with no less indecency. He would boast, he said. He said, I have saved more souls from the pits of hell, hell than, than, than St. Peter has saved through his preaching. I mean, the pretenses of selling indulgences to the Catholic Church were more severe cookies. I mean, they're often black. 
you're reprieved of your sin and your guilt if you fought against the Greeks and the heretics. You were absolved. And if you committed a crime, then you could give payments to the church proportionate to your guilt. Kind of sounds like hush money today, right? I mean, people were guilty, and I've been guilty too. I'm guilty too, and I brought 25 boxes of cookies. Everybody got a lot of guilt. I got a lot of guilt. I didn't want my kid not to reach her goal, and I didn't want to let her down. And I fast-tracked the 50 by buying 25. But here's the thing. No amount of money, no amount of purchases, no amount of kind acts, no amount of stuff, no amount of property, no amount of luxury, nothing, nothing that you buy, nothing that you do can absolve your guilt. Nothing that you do, but you keep on trying. You keep trying to appease the flesh. You keep indulging in the flesh, and it's not leading to what you hope for. And all that you seem to be gaining is more stuff that you don't need, more problems that you don't need, and more of a desire to consume and consume and consume. So we recklessly spend. We reckless, recklessly entertain ourselves. We recklessly distract ourselves. And we consume and we consume and we consume, but the hole is still there. The hole is still there in us. And instead, all we find is destruction around us. See, isn't this what happens to us in the church? We try and sell things that we think people want. So what happens is programs take priority over people. When people don't show up for our programs, we get mad. That's why you were baptized. That's why you're part of this church. You've got to come to my program. You start blaming the church. You start blaming the culture. Young people today just don't want to hear the gospel. You start blaming people because they don't attend or don't fund our programs, don't fund our initiatives, our passions. Uh, people are no longer buying what we're selling because what we're selling are poor substitutes. Listen, what we aren't offering spiritual transformation at times, but what we are selling is superficial substitutions. And you know what? There's a generation of people who say, I don't want it. I don't want it. The way we talk about church is so little, it's so small, it's, it's not grand, it's not big. We talk about church with weak stories and they're problematic stories all the time. I mean, think about how you talk about your church. You know, somebody comes and they might even have a twinkle in their eye. They're thinking about how your church might be the place for them or they find a community and say, oh, yeah, we love your church. Yeah, well, we used to be a little bigger. Come on, you know you tell those stories. Oh, oh this isn't a regular preacher this morning. This isn't a regular worship. Uh, we used to have a great the children's ministry. We used to have a great children's ministry when we were here, but I'm so sorry it's so small right now. We tell such weak stories about our churches. We, 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 we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to appeal to some people that we think just want to consume when really what they want what they want is something so much more grand. And we fail. We miss the mark. They're not buying what we're selling anymore, everybody. Not buying what we're selling anymore because what we offer programs, what we offer are building campaigns, what we offer are just poor substitutes, and people aren't being transformed. And then we try to appease people with our traditions. And those very traditions might be the very barriers that aren't allowing the lost to find Christ. 
We'll keep pushing them. We set up the tables. We keep selling them. We keep selling them. I remember when I was at a church before the one that I'm at, we would have this ministry fair, and all the dead ministries would show up. I mean, you know, all the dead ministries have deacons but no volunteers? Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you're one of those deacons, you check yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We have that leadership team meetings, and the elders go around and say, hey, how's your ministry going? Oh, nothing to report here. Come on now. <laughs> Step up your game, deacons. Maybe that's your wife be in charge of that ministry. Or at least. <laughs> oh, y'all laugh. But you know what I'm talking about. Hey, let's hire Deacon Bob because his wife's really active. Come on now. Hey, Deacon Bob, why don't you head up the women's ministry? Deacon Bob, hey, let him head up the women's ministry. Come on now, you got to step up your game a little bit. Then you wonder why, oh, what happened to the deaconship? Because deacons weren't doing anything, and then all the elders came up and swooped up all the power, and all the ministers are overworked and everything. There's some ministers going through some minister abuse in your churches right now. I mean, they're overworked, and all you guys are doing are criticizing them. Come on now. you got to get in there, step up your game a little bit. And here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. We're trying to sell people things and do stuff and perpetuate dead ministries, perpetuate dead ministries, keep trying to find some dead ministries, some dead stuff. Man, if the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole gym was full of all these tables and people are like, hey, come join my ministry. Hey, what's the last thing you did for the Lord? Well, you know, we're just we're trying to get some people who've been around for 20 years. But come on now, don't blame our church. Blame our church. You've got to stop doing those things. But listen, here's the thing. We can allow our guilt to lead us to do some bad habits and do some things in our churches that just aren't working. But what we can do is allow our guilt and allow our conviction to lead us to Jesus and point people to Jesus instead of one of our programs. Point people to Jesus. Point people to spiritual transformation in Christ. See, here's the thing. We try to shortcut people to Jesus. But you can't shortcut Because a shortcut gets us out of true repentance. It gets us out of a true love for Christ. And any of those shortcuts are indulging in the flesh. And any of those shortcuts are accepting a false gospel. This is why we still fall prey to witchcraft. I mean, some of y'all read all those lists of sins in there on witchcraft. What's that? Well, we call it magic today, like seven-minute apps. You know? <laughs> That's magic today, right? I mean, we want transformation to happen quickly. And that's why we're disappointed after a baptism. We're, at, we're disappointed because we're like, what's happening, man? It's supposed to happen really fast. Like a person's life, they're saved. They're, they're baptized in the body by the Spirit of Christ. You're made alive. But Paul is telling us, he says, now you must do what living people do. And that's walk. That's why he says walk in the Spirit. Sometimes walking in the Spirit, man, oh, you, walking in the Spirit is a long journey of it's a long journey of obedience. And, and, and so we, we fall short and try to do things quickly, but then we also try to add to the finished work of salvation. But that, likewise, indulging our flesh. And any attempt to satisfy our sinful nature is indulging in the flesh, but your sinful nature cannot be satisfied. It must be crucified, Paul says. So when we walk in the Spirit, we carry our cross. Jesus says, you must be. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Paul says daily. Carrying your cross. Your sinful nature is your unspiritual self. And your unspiritual self is selfish and self-righteous. But we can make our unspiritual self appear virtuous. Now today I'm missing an appointment. Every Friday I pick up my five-year-old from preschool and we go to Lamar's Donuts and we get donuts. So every Friday's day, daughter, donut day. 
So we go to the Mars Donuts, and then we walk over to Starbucks, and I get myself a tall drip coffee. Well, this particular day, she had gotten a chocolate, chocolate iced donut, and it looked great. You don't really know what I'm talking about. You ever had chocolate, chocolate iced donut? And uh, I got her table, and I went over to get me some coffee. There was nobody in line. So this happened really quick. I was getting drip coffee, and I got my tall coffee. I prepped it. I came down to the table. And she had eaten her donut. The only evidence of that chocolate, chocolate iced donut was the chocolate around her face. And you can guess what happened next. She said, Daddy, can I have a piece of your donut? And I had an apple fritter, like, bigger than my hand. You know what I'm saying? I, I wasn't really thinking about sharing it. But I did want a piece of her donut. And I looked at her and I said, she knew I wanted a piece of her donut. She knew I wanted to buy that donut. <laughs> Why should I give you a piece of my apple fritter when you ate all of your donut? She had a little sniffly nose, she had a little cough, and she looked at me with a, with a mischievous smile, a clever smile. She said, well, Daddy, I knew that if I shared my donut with you, you would bite where I bit and you'd get what I got, and I didn't want you to smile. <laughs>
Love is first in Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit. He discusses the idea of the concept of a keystone habit. He says, we have habits everywhere in our lives, but certain routines, keystone habits, lead to a cascade of other actions because of it. So a keystone habit can transform all your habits. Food journaling is a keystone habit. So when you write down what you eat, then you'll probably eat better. Exercise is a keystone habit. When you start exercising, then you might eat healthy. You go to bed early. And you work hard, but not later, because you want to get up early so you can go exercise. You get what I'm saying? See, when love is a keystone habit, listen to this. Look at what Paul writes. Rejoice in the Lord always. We can rejoice in the Lord always. We can let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We can be patient until the Lord's coming. And we can be kind to everyone and not quarrelsome. And we can be good to all people, especially the household of God. And we can be faithful even to the point of death and receive a victor's crown. And we can let our gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. And we can discipline our bodies and keep it under control. And when we do that, there's, now we can see why Paul says, against such things there is no law. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on. God didn't give us a list of rules. He gave us the spirit. He didn't give us religion of law keeping. He gave us relationship that's life giving. He didn't give us a new law. He gave us love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Paul says. Love your neighbor as yourself. And half-brother Jesus said this is the royal law. You see, loving your neighbor means you seek the highest good for someone else. And if the welfare for another is too costly for me, then the love of Jesus Christ and His Spirit is willing to pay the price. It's a supernatural love. Paul says in Romans 5, he says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so all the other characteristics of the Spirit flow through the love that has been placed in our hearts by the Spirit. So indulge in the Spirit. Why do we need to indulge? Why do we need to be filled with the Spirit? Why do we need to be filled? You might be thinking, I received the Spirit so that I can have a seal on my life. So that whenever Jesus comes back or whenever I breathe my last breath and close my eyes for the final time, that that's going to mark me as being his child and I'm going to be into heaven. And that's true, but that's not all. You might be thinking that I received the spirit that was given to me. Given to me so that uh, I could be holy and so that I could be sanctified. Well, yes, that's not all. But listen, if that's what you're thinking, if you're only thinking about your personal sanctification, if you're only thinking about your personal salvation, you're missing the boat because the Spirit is given to you so that you can love your neighbor well. That's what this whole book is about. Loving your neighbor well, whoever your neighbor might be. And this is what Paul told the Ephesian church. It was revealed by the Spirit, this mystery. How in the world was God going to reconcile man to each other and to God? And he says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, This mystery is that the gospel, the Gentiles and the heirs, would be together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. He said, don't put any yoke upon the Gentiles. Don't put any yoke upon people. Stop selling a false gospel. Stop trying to appease people or appease yourself. By placing on them something that is far too superficial to do any life change for them. The thing you think is going to bring life change for somebody else is what's driving them away. See, Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, tried by the ability of laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted that power, but Peter rebuked him because he was indulging in the flesh and was captive to sin. See, indulgences might be for sale, right? 
but the spirit is not. The spirit is not to be sold. The spirit is to be given away. See, Simon thought the spirit was for him and him alone. It was for him and his financial prosperity. But the spirit was not for him and for him alone. The spirit was given for the purpose of loving his neighbor. That's for community. So if anything, when you leave this place, you need to indulge in the spirit. Because your ability, your ability to love your neighbor depends on what you indulge. Let's stand together and I'll pray with us. I pray that out of his glorious riches, we're not going to use that slide, we're not going to use songs. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Grant, O merciful Father, that your divine spirit may enlighten, inflame, and purify us, that he may penetrate us with his heavenly passion and make us fruitful in good works. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you, in the unity of the same spirit, lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen.